0: So we are going to uh, we're going to spend some time listening to the Word of God now, which is going to be uh, well. I'm trusting it's going to be good, not because my preaching is good necessarily, but because the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is able to transform and change lives. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, uh, whether you're here or at home on Zoom, why don't you turn to? We're going to be in Second Corinthians chapter eight today, and uh, we've been in a uh, preaching series. Well, we're in the second week of a preaching series called Devoted disciplines of the Christian life, and what we're doing is just over these last four weeks kind of 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 the summer term, we're spending four weeks looking at different disciplines or habits, you might call them, that are kind of part of the healthy life of Christians. We're not looking at all of them, but we're looking at a number of them, and Hannah last week kicked us off really well by looking at the idea of hearing, that actually one of the habits or the disciplines that we have as Christians is to hear the voice of God speaking to us. And today, I'm going to be talking about the topic of giving. And so just a little bit of a health warning, we're going to be talking about money today, which, uh, and not about making money. Just before any of you think, great, we're talking about making loads of money. No, we're not going to be talking about making money. We're actually going to be talking about giving money away, which immediately, depending on your experience, may conjure up a whole load of different reactions, I realize. Some of us may be sitting here today thinking, wait, that, that feels really personal. That's my money. I'm very uncomfortable when people try to tell me what to do with my money. For some of us, we may be sitting here thinking, I've had really bad experiences of church in the past where I've basically just been manipulated into giving money to a certain person, and I, I don't want to listen to this guy tell me that I need to give my money to him. Some of us may be sitting here thinking, I, I hardly have enough money to pay the bills at the moment. I'm dreading hearing a sermon on giving because I'm going to feel so guilty. And I just want, if, that, if, if whatever situation we're in, I realize that the topic of money, the topic of giving can raise a whole host of sensitivities. And what I want to do is just reassure us at the start that uh, we're not gonna be, be demanding your money, we're not gonna be trying to twist anyone's arm. What, what we're gonna do is we're gonna be opening scripture, which is the safest thing to do. Because if I were to stand here and give you my opinions, that wouldn't serve you well, particularly on the topic of money. But actually what we're going to do is we're going to look at what does God say in his word about the topic of giving. And what I'm confident is going to happen is that even if some of the stuff that we read in the word of God is challenging, we know that ultimately it's for our greatest joy. And so that my prayer is that we don't leave this place today thinking, oh well, I feel guilt tricked to up my direct debit every month, but that we live that we leave this place going, I'm amazed at who God is and how generous he has been. And with a heart, actually, to, um, to, to receive more from God and to give out as a result of that. So we're going to go to Scripture. We're going to be in first Corin- sorry, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 1 up to 15. So let me, let's read the Word of God together. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 15. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus... That as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see to it that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. But that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the pleasant time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need. That there may be fairness, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is the word of God. Father, I pray that you would help me as I explain and apply your word to our lives. I pray help us to have ears to hear what your word is saying. I pray that uh, what I say would be in line with Scripture. <laughs> And that anything that isn't would just fall away. We pray, teach us this morning and help us to love you and honour you more as a result of what we hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, interesting passage, but it it might be helpful for you to have a bit of an understanding of what's going on. So this is the Apostle Paul writing. He's one of the early church leaders. And uh, what he's doing is he's writing to a church in a place called Corinth, which was basically in southern Greece. If you know your map of Greece, kind of southern Greece. He's writing to some churches that he founded in a city called Corinth, and he's explaining a number of things to them. And one of the things he's explaining to them is that he has been uh, basically taking up a collection or a financial offering from lots of different churches that he had founded in order to give money to the Christians who were living in Jerusalem. The Christians who were living in Jerusalem were particularly poor. And so Paul said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go around the different churches that I've planted, that I've founded, and I'm going to... I'm going to take an offering in each of those churches and we're going to then give the money to the poor church in Jerusalem to be able to help them. And the church in Corinth had already agreed to this. They said, yeah, we we really want to give to this. We'd love to uh, give to this. And so Paul, in this passage, is writing just to remind them of that and to give them some practical advice about how to go about it. But when Paul wrote this, he was writing from a place called Macedonia, which is in northern Greece, and he was amongst the churches that he'd started in that area, and those churches were also quite poor. But the church in Macedonia, as we can read in this passage, had actually come to Paul of their own accord and said, I know we're poor, but we really want to give to the church in Jerusalem as well. And so what Paul's doing in this passage is a couple of things. He's, he's explaining to the church in Corinth, guys, listen to, what, listen to what's happened to the church in Macedonia. They willingly would love to give some money to the church in Jerusalem as well. And then he's also giving the church in Corinth some practical advice to say, right, here is how you need to, about, need to think about giving. So that's what's going on in this, in this passage. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from here. But what I want to do to start with is say, did you notice there's a key word that keeps appearing all the way throughout this passage? There's a word that starts with G. You might be able to, to spot it. it. might be slightly different in your different versions of the Bible that appears over and over and over again. And it's the word Grace absolutely everywhere in this passage and if you read chapters 8 and 9 of 2nd corinthians it appears even more it's everywhere verse 1 we want you to know brothers about the grace of god that was given to the churches of macedonia verse 4 they begged us earnestly for the favor or the word in the original language is the same grace of taking part in the relief of the saints verse 6 we urged titus that he should complete this act of grace verse 7 excel also in this act of grace it's everywhere and you might think, well, if, you, if there's a passage about giving of your own money, we might expect Paul to use a word like duty. It's going to be like, okay, well, I want, you to, I want you to know, brothers, about the duty that the church in Macedonia have realized that they have to give to the poor people in Jerusalem. That might be naturally what might come to our mind when we're thinking of giving, because we think, okay, well, the idea of giving money that I have might not be the most comfortable thing. So, okay, it's a duty. As a Christian, I probably should do that. But the word that Paul uses here is amazing. He uses the word grace. The word grace means a free gift. It's a kind of undeserved free gift. And Paul's using this word because he wants the Corinthians to know, and he wants us to know, that wanting to give money, whether that's giving it to to the poor, whether that's giving it to charities, whether that's giving it to a local church, whatever context that is, that giving money and wanting to give money is actually a gift from God. It's wonderful. He's he, when he when he's talking about the Macedonian church, the, the church that was quite poor but yet decided we want to give to the church, the poor church in Jerusalem, Paul doesn't say, guys, I want you to know how amazing the Macedonian church are. They are so great. Like, seriously, guys, they're the most generous church I've ever met in the world. You guys need to copy them. No, that's not how he explains it. He explains it by saying, I want you to know about the grace of God that was given to the church in Macedonia. He wants them to understand that actually the fact that that church really wants to give money to the poor is actually something that God is doing in them. And so Paul wants us to understand that when it comes to giving money, and actually you could apply that to other areas. We're not going to talk particularly about giving in other areas. We're going to talk primarily about financial today. But you can apply this when it comes to giving your money, giving your resources, giving your time. That actually, the, the way the Bible talks about it isn't so much a, oh, I suppose I'd better do it because the Bible tells me to. That's the idea of duty. But actually, the idea of thank you, Lord, that I get to give. That's the idea of grace. And so Paul really wants us to understand that. And that's a real encouragement for us, I think, in a. In, that if you're here today and there's any desire in you to give, doesn't necessarily mean it's comfortable, it doesn't necessarily mean that, it's, that it doesn't, isn't sacrificial, but that there's a desire in you and you think, yeah, I want to give. I want to be able to give to help those who are poor. I want to be able to give to the local church. That's a work of God. That's a work of God in your life. That's a, be encouraged by that. If there's any desire to give in your heart, that's a, a work of God in you. It's wonderful. But it all comes out, and we're going to spend a bit of time here because it's just wonderful. It all flows out of the most important mention of grace in this passage. Paul uses the word grace all the time, but there's one mention of the word grace that is the most important, and all of the other language of grace kind of flows from that, and that's in verse 9. Let's just read this verse. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Let's read that again. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's ultimately what motivates giving. What motivates giving ultimately is the understanding that Jesus gave everything for us. That moment when... In fact, let's let's just camp out here, so to speak, for a little while. Let's just take this idea of the grace of Jesus, that he was rich and became poor so that we might become rich, we might inherit all of the spiritual riches that we have. Let's just spend a little bit of time thinking about that because fundamentally, when it comes to giving... Our our desire isn't that we go out of here with primarily with a bunch of practical tips about how to go about giving. It's great to have some practical tips. There are loads in this passage. We might get round to sharing a few if we have time. But primarily what we want is to have a heart that comes from understanding the good news of Jesus, that says, the reason that I have any desire to give is because I've understood how amazing Jesus' grace for me is. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became, for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Think about what were we like before we came to know Jesus. The Bible tells us that spiritually we were bankrupt. I don't know how how close to or currently uh, close to it be. Well, currently how much in debt you may find yourself or at some point in your life you may well have find yourself in crippling debt and it's horrible it's a horrible position to be in but our spiritual debt to God was infinitely higher than any financial debt that we could possibly have been in in this whole life that's how poor we were spiritually speaking we had no right to stand before God we deserved an eternity of judgment and Jesus had it all Jesus was the richest Spiritually, the, I mean, the richest materially as well. He had everything that he wanted to, but, but that's no, even the amount that Jesus would have been able to possess materially if he wanted to. He was spiritually so rich. He, eternally with the Father. For the whole of eternity past. Try and imagine that. In perfect community with the Father. Complete, absolute spiritual riches. We are the lowest when it comes to the spiritual, spiritual wealth. Jesus is the highest. But yet Jesus chooses in the gospel to say, I am going to make myself poor. I'm going to take on human flesh. Just, I I don't think that blows our mind enough because our mind can't get around it. Just think about that. God took on humanity. God became a human being. Imagine deciding for the whole of eternity, I am going to become an ant in order to save ants. That might seem like the... Goodness me, what a sacrifice. What a massive, like that is a huge difference. The difference between us and ants is that big compared to the difference between us and the creator. But yet the creator became a man. And he didn't become a particularly impressive man either. I think if I I was God, which I'm very, very glad I'm not, I would probably have said, okay, well, if I have to do the whole becoming a man thing, why don't I get born in Caesar's palace and maybe I can become like a, a human emperor or something like that, have a bit of comfort. No, no, Jesus is born to a poor family in a cave or a stable somewhere in the Middle East in complete, uh, in complete obscurity. No one, no one was, like a few, a few select people that angels had revealed stuff to were aware of the birth of Jesus. The rest of the world, completely ignorant that God had become a human being but that's how God chooses to work he says I am going to make I am going to become poor because that is the way that these people who are currently spiritually deserving of nothing are able to become rich it's wonderful it's wonderful and that that is ultimately what motivates giving it's when we get and reflect on that that there's any kind of desire to give of our own money because we suddenly realise wait a minute Jesus was so rich, and yet he gave everything up for me. That provokes generosity. That's where it all comes from. And so whenever I'm finding myself growing cold in my desire to give, whenever I'm finding myself thinking, I just really can't be bothered and I don't want to, the solution for me is, then, is to say, I need to reflect on the gospel more. I need to remind myself of the amazing grace, free gift of Jesus. I was dead And he became poor so that he could make me alive. So that now, Ephesians 1 tells us, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have gone from the poorest of the poor, spiritually speaking, to the richest you could possibly ever be because Jesus chose to make himself poor for us. That's wonderful. Absolutely amazing. That's the gospel. We can never get over it. We, we never move on from it, by the way. It's not the kind of... The, the gospel isn't the kind of thing that you... Well, you, non-Christians need the gospel because they need to know what Jesus has done. They respond to it. And then once, they've, once we've responded to the gospel, we don't need the gospel anymore. We move on. That, that's not how the Christian life works. The Christian life works by reminding ourselves over and over and over and over again of what Jesus has done. It starts with the gospel. It finishes with the gospel. And for the whole of eternity, the gospel is going to be center stage. If you read the book of Revelation, I want, if, if, if you had to die on a cross in order to save humanity, again, thinking if I was God, which I'm very glad I'm not, I think I'd probably want to brush that under the carpet and maybe just focus on the fact that I got raised from the dead and, and I'm now Lord of the world. I'd probably be like, yeah, that was a necessary thing I had to go through, but I'm not going to make a big deal of that for the whole of eternity because it's, it's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? Becoming a human being and then actually dying on a cross. For the whole of eternity, if you read the book of Revelation, Jesus is known as the lamb who was slain. Because from heaven's perspective, they look at God taking on the human form, becoming poor, and being obedient to the point of death, and death on a cross. And heaven doesn't look at it and get embarrassed. Heaven looks at it and thinks, that is the greatest news in the world. The gospel is the beginning and the end of everything that we do. It's the, the good news of Jesus. It's the center. And so I don't really actually have that much time left to talk about any practicalities of giving. I think i a bit carried away with the gospel, but I felt the freedom to do that because that's, that's the foundation. That's what everything flows from. It's what everything flows from in, in our lives, let alone just, not just giving. It's what everything flows from. It's the good news of what Jesus has done. And so Paul here is trying to motivate. He's not... Ordering them. Did you notice that? Verse 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove the earnestness of, by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. He's saying, I'm not commanding you. I could not bring myself to command you to give. Instead, he says, I want to remind you of Jesus' generosity. And I want to let that provoke generosity in your own hearts. And so that's the center. It's the foundation where everything comes from. And so as we kind of come to a bit of an end, very, maybe very quickly, maybe just a few quick practical tips that this passage gives us, and then what we're going to do is go back to focus on the gospel and respond by singing together, but just a few things that this passage teaches us about what it looks like when giving in our lives is motivated by grace, rather than us motivated by a sense of duty. The first thing is that giving becomes something that's joyful. you notice the amount of joy language that there was in the passage? Like The Macedonian church were poor, and yet there was, it was with great joy that they wanted to give. That's what the grace of God does in our lives. It produces joy in the midst of difficulties that says, I really want to give. I, I don't think the Macedonians were able to give much. Paul says they gave beyond their means. I don't think that means that they were suddenly able to cut and drop millions of pounds. That's not, <laughs> that's not what God's grace was doing in them. But God's grace was motivating joy-filled giving. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he says, when he talks about how to give, he says, each one must give, up, give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's what giving as a Christian, giving motivated by grace, doesn't look like sitting down and saying, right, okay, what do I have to give? It looks like sitting down and saying, Jesus, remind me of the gospel, and now that you have reminded me of the gospel, give me the grace to give in a joy-filled way. And at that point, you say, here's what I, here, I want to give. It doesn't become, here's what I should give. It goes, here's what I want to give. Grace, so grace giving is joyful. Grace giving is also proportional to what you have. That's another thing that's a principle that comes here. Usually proportional to what you have. I'll explain why I said usually in a second, but in verse 12, it says, if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he doesn't have. In other words, if you've got a big income, you're probably going to end up giving more than if you've not got a big income. But that has absolutely nothing to do with the state of your heart. And this, I found, this verse I find actually really liberating. It's also challenging, and I'll explain why in a second, but I find it really liberating. So just a quick Kind of personal example, I think one of the gift days maybe a year or so ago, so we were thinking, okay, well, what, what should we give? And we were in a position financially where, I mean, we weren't in, we weren't in debt, we weren't, like, we weren't that close to the line, but we were struggling a bit more than we usually were, and so as a result, we weren't able to give as much as we perhaps would usually give a special offering, and it was interesting that in my heart there was this kind of, oh, but that's not worth as much to God. Surely I should, surely to, to have faith means that I basically just give a load of stuff that I don't have and will rack up the credit card bills. But actually to read this helps me to realise, actually, that moment, in that moment, giving out of what I had, out of a good heart, was more valid, would have been more valid to God than me giving, putting myself in debt out of a sense of obligation. It's wonderful. It's, you give according to what you have. And obviously it bites both ways. So there's the challenge side that comes where... Th- so some of us may be sitting here thinking, as I said at the beginning, goodness me, I've hardly got any money. I, haven't, I, I can't afford to pay the bills, let alone give. Feel the release of this passage. God is after our heart, not the amount that we give. For some people, giving five pounds a month is infinitely more generous than others giving a thousand pounds a month. Because of... The amount of money that they actually have. So feel the release of that. But then there's also the challenge on the other side that maybe for some of us, and I know this will be true at certain times of my life, depending on how we're doing financially, that there's actually a challenge to say, wait a minute, maybe I'm just coasting and actually God's grace provoking generosity in me might look like upping my giving a little bit. So it does cut both ways. And so it's usually dependent on how much you actually have. Now, the reason I say usually is because there are sometimes moments where God gives us the grace to give beyond what we have. That's what the church in Macedonia were able to do. Paul said they gave beyond their means. Now, Paul's not saying that's what giving always looks like. He's saying God gave them in that moment the ability to give more than they actually had. That's happened a handful of times in my life where I remember one time as a student where you might say it was a conference, special offering, and I ended up giving what you might, for a student, have called a stupid, unwise amount of money. But I remember it being exciting. It wasn't a kind of, oh, look at all of these church leaders around who have lots more money. I can, I can tell that they're giving more. I'd better up my check. It was a moment of, actually, I feel God is giving me the faith and the excitement to give more than would probably be wise at the moment. That's, an act of, that's a miraculous act of God's grace. That's not... A duty. And it's really important that we understand that whenever there's a sense of duty when it comes to giving, we need to press pause and go, wait a minute, I think I need to go and spend some time with Jesus. And the result of that may be that He gives you the grace to give more than you have, or the result of that may be that you go back and think, that would have been silly for me to give that amount of money because that was coming out of a place of duty. I, what I'm going to end up giving is less, but it's going to come out of a place of joy and love for Jesus. And then finally, very, very quickly, because we'll we'll come into land and respond by singing. Grace-filled giving involves desire and action. Verse 11 is such a brilliant practical verse. Let's read it again together. Now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring may may be matched by your completing it. In other words, what Paul's saying in this verse is, I know you really want to give. You've got the desire to give. I'm, I'm aware of that, Corinthians. You really want to give. Make sure you actually get around to doing it. It's so practical, because how, how many times have there been occasions to give in my life where I think, yeah, I really want to give, here's how much I feel that God's put on my heart to give, and then three weeks later, I think, oh gosh, I forgot, and it's so practical. It's like, actually, there's, guys, I know you want to give, make sure you actually get around to it, and it's just so wonderfully practical, and so um, what we do when it comes to giving to local church, which is one of the, one of the ways that we can express giving, is that we, we decided to do a standing order. So we think, well, that way, we're not going to get three months down the line and go, we haven't given for three months, not because we didn't want to, but because we've just forgotten. And so for some of us, maybe if you've got a regular income, that might actually be a very practical way of applying this particular passage. But the flip side is, there's, I'm then aware there's, there can be the danger, because I've set that up, of there being the action, but not being the desire. And actually, grace-filled giving involves desire and action. And it's possible for me to set up the action and then five months later think, I've not even reflected on the fact that I've been giving money. It's just coming out of the bank monthly. And actually what I need to learn to do as well is even though it's coming out automatically is take opportunities. And that can be in moments where we uh, pass the basket. Obviously we don't pass the basket around anymore because of COVID, but I'm sure we will at some point or when you click the link and so on. So take that moment to say, I'm committing this to you, God. So it's really, really practical. Anyway, there we go. I've gone a bit over. Sorry, I got. Well, I'm not going to apologize for getting excited about the gospel, but the, uh, I just think it's so important to make sure we lay that foundation. And so there's a bunch of practical advice. You can go reread some of it in your own time. So, so helpful. But at the end of the day, we need to remember the grace of God. It's the grace of God that motivates generosity in our hearts. And uh, I think that's where we want to start. It's also where we want to finish. We want to finish by responding to God's amazing grace. And so we're gonna to sing together for the band are happy to come up and will be leading us in a final song.